Father God, we love you so much. Lord, Lord, I just want to slow down. I want to thank you that, that your presence is here. This is all for you, Lord God. You are the center of this day. I thank you, Lord God, that, that I'm desperate for your anointing. And I thank you, Lord God, that I'm desperate for, for your Holy Spirit to speak to everybody's hearts in this place today. We're not depending on my words, Lord God. We're depending on you. We're depending on your Holy Spirit to change our life, to feed us the word, Lord God. And I thank you for that. And Lord, I thank you for the giving of the people, giving into the kingdom and all the other ways that they give. I thank you, Lord God, that you see it. Nothing escapes your notice, Lord, that you bless our people, Father God, that they are some of the most generous people in this state. And I just thank you that I get to be a part of this place. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. You guys ready? All right. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Philippians. Surprise. Philippians. We've been in, we've been in this series called Relentless Joy, walking through Philippians. We should be done before 2018, I think. Um, no, just kidding. We'll, we've got, we're about halfway. We'll probably be done uh, sometime in December, but uh, we're ha- I'm having a good time. And uh, today we are going to be looking at chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to chapter 3 of Philippians. We're going to be looking at 12 through 16, verses 12 through 16. Last week, just to kind of catch us up so we can back, back mentally on the same page here, we were reading how Paul, he was sharing his personal desires, and he said this in, in verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That is my goal, he says. I want, to, I want him to be seen in my life. I want to experience the authentic things of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul does. He craves Jesus. He, he's in love with Jesus. He wants to experience the kingdom of God. He wants to be a part of the kingdom of God. But now let's pick up with what he says next in verse 12, today's verse. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Okay, so let's stop right there for a second. So verse 12, he's saying, you know, not that I've already obtained all this. I haven't arrived. I haven't nailed it. Now everything's perfect yet, but I press on. Christ took hold of me, brothers and sisters, and so that's what I'm taking hold of. He says, I haven't arrived at my goal. Some of your translations might say, I haven't reached perfection here. In the Greek, it's this word, teleomai, teleomai, and uh, it means to be completed. The idea, the, the picture of the word is to have every last thing that is missing from something added in order to make it full or completed, to top it off, to have everything topped off so it's finished, so it's completed, it's full. Sometimes in the New Testament, you'll see it translated perfect, uh, sometimes finished or completed. Now, notice Paul's humility here. I love this about Paul. He says, you know, I'm still processing. I'm still maturing. I mean, this is Paul we're talking about. And he's like, God hasn't finished the work that he's begun in me yet. He hasn't finished yet. Paul is honest. He's open. He's very authentic here. Here he is, the apostle, like the apostle, right? He, he's, in all intents and purposes, kind of like the bishop of the church before there even was a bishop. He is like the apostle of the early church, and yet he is saying, I don't, admire, I don't mind admitting where I'm at. See, a lot of us want to grow in our faith. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to mature? I do too. I want to grow in my faith. A lot of us want to grow. We want to mature. But it's, it's what we want. But authentic spiritual growth 
requires two things. It requires humility and it requires honesty. Authentic spiritual growth, growing in your faith, requires humility and it requires honesty. It requires us to understand that we have not arrived yet. You can't grow unless you understand there's room to grow, right? That's that's kind of one of those genius statements that come for free. You know, there's always room for growth. Here's something that we can all use more of, I think, especially me. If we want to grow spiritually, if we want to grow in our faith, humility and honesty. That's something that is really, really hard for any kind of group or a religion who places their emphasis on some external holiness marker, some external boundary marker. Because when you, when you make external holiness your primary goal, okay, understand what I'm saying? When you make external holiness your primary goal, then the first thing to die in that kind of community is honesty. When you make external holiness your primary goal, the first thing to die in that kind of community, is honesty. When we idolize external righteousness and rituals and rules and regulations with Christ um, at, the, uh, at the expense of a growing relationship with Christ, when we idolize those things at the expense of a relationship with Christ and a healthy relationship with the body of Christ, that's important, it leads to something that is absolutely poison to your soul, and that is secret keeping. It's poison to your soul. The first thing to die in such a community is honesty. So, so you know, in these cases, that we keep the reality of what's happening inside us, we keep it hidden in order to maintain this sense of belonging. We all want to belong, right? Amen? I told you there's not a whole lot of you here today. There's like seven of us in the room, so we've got to really shout loud, okay? All right, shout loud, so it makes me feel a lot better. So this is, that's the consequence of a, of a religious culture that idolizes false maturity, um, they, they wants to look good on the outside. Instead of authentic maturity, which is growing and humbly and passionately seeking after Jesus. That's authentic maturity. Humbly, passionately seeking after Jesus. Authentic maturity, it accepts one another, even though we haven't arrived. I need you to accept me even though I haven't arrived. And I need to accept you even though you're not there yet, right? We haven't been made complete. False maturity Here's what false maturity does. It equates maturity with completion. So you're never mature until you're complete. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see how that's kind of a dangerous road to go on? Because who's complete? Who's perfect in here? Go ahead, Ray. Okay. So that would mean we don't have any mature people in this church? That's not what it means, though, is it? See, maturity, it isn't being complete or being perfect, when we equate maturity with completion or being finished or perfect, in that kind of environment, nobody wants to admit that they're not perfect, right? And, so, and that, you know, nobody wants to admit that they don't have it all together. That's not fun to go around and admit, you know, because in that kind of environment, then people might look at you and go, look at the immature Christian, not perfect, immature, right? So who wants to live in that? And eventually what happens is those of us who are like going, check out immature guy, we actually start to believe our gossip. We actually start to believe that we, we're somehow better, that we've gotten there, right? Even though we're all screwed up inside too, but we believe it. When we're honest with ourselves, though, I know this is kind of heavy for 10.30 in the morning. <laughs> we're hitting the ground running today. But when we're honest with ourselves, when we're honest with our, our weakness, our frailty, our vulnerabilities, everybody's got a vulnerability, 
our unique temptations and habits, because everybody has a unique temptation habit. It's something that's unique to you, as well as things that are common to every man. But we all have something, you know, some unique way that we're pulled. When we're humble enough to be honest about this with ourselves and with each other, we're going to realize that we're not there on our spiritual journey. And we'll realize that we all have struggles. Right? And as we saw last week, we can only get, we only can be those kind of people if, as Paul puts it, our boast is only in Christ Jesus and never, and never in the level of awesomeness that we've achieved. Our boast can't be in that. It can't be in our awesomeness. It's got to be in Jesus. Right? Everything that I ever hope to become is all due to Jesus. Because I'm an idiot without him, right? In, in a community that's focusing on the wrong thing, where it's difficult to be open and honest with that, it actually, did you know that actually stifles you from becoming more like Jesus? In a community like that, it stifles you from becoming more like Christ, and it stifles the whole church. It'll just stifle our church from becoming more like Jesus. I've seen it. I know it to be true. A community where, where people don't talk to someone else about their struggles is a community probably with the most anguish bubbling beneath the surface. That's that kind of place, right? Some people think, I know some people, it makes them nervous. They think if everybody's being open and honest about their struggles and, you know, in in their journey, it's going to make people act less like Jesus. I don't think so. I don't think Paul thinks so. It's actually that impossible expectation of perfection, that impossible expectation we put on each other, that standard that I'm going to hold you to this perfect standard. I'm not going to hold myself to it, but I'm going to hold you to it. That impossible standard, it drives folks to be less honest, less Christ-like, more faults. And so Paul says, hey, he comes right out of the back here. Hey, church, let me be honest with you. And I can identify with this. I totally can because I have by no means achieved all I want to achieve. I'm still growing. And what's great is we're on this journey together, right? You and me, we are on this journey together. We all play a part. One of the things that I embrace so much about this church, just in talking to different people, different families that I've talked to who've, who've made their way to this church and they've been going here for a little while and maybe they were away from the church for a while, but they came and they found this or maybe they, wherever, they, wherever they went and they had an experience or something, but they came to this church is is here at this church, we're able to be ourselves. And I hope you find that too. We're able to be ourselves. People have told me, families have told me this, and I've heard this more than once. So I know it wasn't just like one strange experience. It must be something that's going on here, that there is something unusual going on at Generations Church. Something unusual. I had a, I had a person tell me that this is a church with a lot of different kind of folks, right? There's not like a typical Generations kind of person, Right? Or, or a mold that you got to squeeze into to be accepted here. If you tried to say, well, what's a typical generations person? What's like typical generations guy or girl? That's really hard to say, right? We're kind of a, we're kind of a bag of potpourri in, in this place, right? We got roses and twigs and a few nuts and spices and, right? And you know who you are, right? But it, man, it smells good. You know what I'm saying? I love it. I love it. So when you go to Generations, whether you're in leadership, and I know there's other good churches like that too. I'm not just saying like we're, the, we're super special. But, but man, I love this place. And, and I, when, when you're, whether you're in leadership or, or you're serving a volunteer ministry or you've been a Christian for decades or you're just kind of like exploring Jesus, we, we can be 
We can be the, like what the apostle Paul says here when he says, hey, I haven't yet obtained my goal. I haven't got to where I want to be yet. And that's okay because this is a community where we can journey together. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's the kind of place I want to go to. Uh, you know, a play, we can journey together, eye on the prize. We can do it. We can one step at a time. We can be there for each other. We can pick each other up when we fall because that's going to happen sometimes too, right? But for that to happen, we have to embrace these two culture points right here, humility and honesty. These are essential. And by the way, do you know what humility and honesty make for authentic relationships? When you, got authentic, when you have humility and honesty, you've got the ingredients for authentic relationships, right? Which is sort of like what our mission is all about. You've got these things, when you've got folks acting and interacting in humility and honesty, and you need both, by the way. You can't just have humility because that's weird. You can't just have honesty, because that's obnoxious, <laughs> right? You've met those people, right? You got to have them both. You got to have them both. And when you have that, oh man, you have the ingredients for authentic, spiritual, loving relationships. That's what I want. That's what I want. So in verse 13, Paul continues. He says, but here's the one thing I am doing. I'm not quite there yet, but here's what I am doing in verse 13. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, this language here is really cool. Paul, he's kind of switches gears here. He uses some different metaphors. We've seen he's such a great communicator. He's used military language and financial language, all kinds of different language, sailing language. But here he's using the world of sports, right? And in his day, it was the image of a race. He says, I'm pressing on. I'm in the race. I'm straining forward to win the prize. I'm straining forward. This metaphor is really helpful to us because now we can kind of understand what he means by authentic maturity. Authentic maturity. It's striving forward even though we haven't yet completed the race or been made perfect. Authentic maturity, striving forward in the race. The race is not over until the person has crossed the finish line, right? And, and the fact that you haven't crossed, it doesn't mean you failed. If you're watching a race and there's people going around the track, do you go, what a bunch of failures? They haven't even crossed the finish line. No, they're in the race, right? You're cheering them on. That's, that's the point, is racing. You haven't failed until you've done what? Quit. Y'all are geniuses. You haven't failed until you've quit. That is what failing is. That, by the way, is what immaturity looks like. That is immaturity. But you started, and then you quit. It's immaturity. It's quitting the race. So here's the danger for the religious person. The religious person, they have this desire to look mature, right? And so what does he do? He acts like he has finished the race. He acts like he's finished right? The religious person of false maturity is someone who's walking around, their hands on their hips, they're waving at the crowd going, thank you, thank you, I did do well, thank you. Runners are running by, but he's going like this, thank you. <laughs> Woo. That was amazing. I was amazing. Thank you. What a great race I did. When they've never actually finished, they never crossed the finish line, right? And so to the religious crowd, they look like finishers, but in reality, they're big posers, right? And so Paul Clearly, his mission here, when we read Paul, his mission is to strain toward what's ahead. And his goal 
is to win the prize. His goal is to win the prize of fulfilling God's calling. And meanwhile, he's cheering on everybody else in the race too. He's cheering them all on and everybody in the race with him. But the religious person is on a completely different mission. You, you notice he's on a different mission. His goal is not finishing the race. It's looking like he's finished the race. That's a real different goal. It's not finishing. It's looking like he's finished. You know, a seasoned athlete, um, with the pylons, are they, they're the pylons. Boy, I saw some of your pictures there. You guys did some amazing race. That was awesome. Um, like so many kilometers that I could never even start to run. That was amazing. Way to go. Uh, it tired me out just watching, looking at your Facebook pictures. Um, I was losing my breath. Anyway, but a seasoned athlete like these guys, a mature athlete, they understand something, that the measure of success is not how you start, but how you finish. The measure of success is not how you start, but how you finish. My father, your pastor, he's been telling me this since I was born, and it's so brilliant. It's not how you start. It's not how you begin. It's how you end. It's not how you begin. It's how you end. It's really easy to start things. You ever notice that? I'm bad at that too. It's easy to start things, to get real excited. Oh, hey, let's do this and to start it. And, and it's not about, though, looking good in the first hundred meters. It's easy to start a thing, but heroes are born at the finish line. Heroes are born at the finish line. And it's not about quitting before you've arrived. It's not about quitting and looking like you finished. It's about staying in the race, staying committed to the cause of Jesus, staying in community with other believers, until that final hour. Until that final hour, that's when Scripture says we get a finisher's crown, and, G- and God himself says, well done, my kid. Way to go, right? That is what we're striving for. That's the goal. To do that means we can't do it alone. This is not a solitary race. You're not on the track all by yourself just running all with nobody around. It's not an individual race. You, it's not just you against the world. It's, it's more of a relay race, right? We are all on the track, and it's more of a relay race, and you're passing off to somebody else, and somebody's passing something else to you, right? And you, you just keep running. You keep going, and we're helping each other and cheering each other on. We're cheering each other on. We're in this journey together. In verse 14, he mentions this really interesting phrase. He says, I press on... I press on. It's the second time he's used this. He used it in verse 12, if you remember. It's a Greek word, dioko. Dioko. And you know what it means? It's really cool. It doesn't just mean, I keep going, I'll just, hopefully I'll get there someday. You know what it means? To chase down like a hunter chases his prey. I love that. It literally means to chase down like a hunter pursues prey. Dioko. That's press on. And I love this because it's not just sort of this sort of lackadaisical, yeah, Paul's not waiting around for the prize to drift over to him someday if it happens, right? He's, not, he's living life. He's not letting life live him. He's in it. He's, it's something very intentional, the picture of he's, he's painted here. Paul is on the hunt, right? Like a hunter chasing his prey. He is laser focused. And let me tell you, as we've seen before, Paul knows something about the hunt, He knows something. In fact, he used this same word, dioko. He used the same word at the beginning of the chapter when he was telling us all the things that he used to do. In verse 6, when he said, as for zeal, persecuting the church. He's like, you want to know how how zealous I was? I persecuted the church. He used this word, dioko. Literally, I used to chase down and hunt Christians. So he knows something about the hunt. Now I'm chasing down. I'm, I'm, I'm going after a different sort of prize altogether. Now, I want to live like Christ. I want to participate in his kingdom. I'm chasing down Christ himself, 
right? I'm not hunting Christians anymore. Hallelujah. Paul was a man. He did everything with all of his might, didn't he? He did everything, full blast, full tilt. Whatever he did, he was going to chase down, capture it like a lion. I just love this. It's inspiring to me when I feel a little lethargic. You know, some of the greatest Christians I've ever known, I have to say, you might, be, you might have noticed this too in, in your life, the greatest, most inspiring Christians I've ever known were some of the most passionate sinners before they met Jesus. You know? Right? Before they met Jesus. These are folks, they, the, the, these guys, they aren't going to do anything halfway. I love people like this. They don't do anything halfway. They live for the devil with everything they got, right? And Jesus captured them, and now they're laying it all out there for Christ. That's just who they are, and that's what they are doing. And let me tell you, that's the kind of Christians I believe God wants to turn us into, people who are passionate for Christ, passionate for his kingdom, passionate for his church, who will hunt down the things of Jesus. I mean, if God saved you from death, hell, and the grave, and from your sins, why hold anything back? Give him everything you got. He saved you. Give him everything you got. Love him with your whole mind, soul, body, and strength, right? Why hold anything back? This is the only life you get down here. This is it. And then we get to start like real life somewhere else. But this is the only life. And you know what? God's going to give you a whole new body in that life. So you might as well use this one up for his glory. Leave it all here, right? Amen? Don't put off for tomorrow what God calls you to do today. He's called us for something now, right now. Don't put it off. Because you know what? You are not promised a tomorrow. I am not promised a tomorrow. I have it today. That's all I am promised, what we have today. And God is moving in this church right now, right here, today, today. Friends, we're ineffective for the kingdom if we're not focused on the today. When, we, when we're either, there's two things we can be. We can either be sitting around, waiting around for tomorrow, for something to like happen, for the prize to like drift by, or we get stuck reminiscing about some imagined golden age that happened in the past. Either one of those, you're stuck. You are stuck. You're not living in the now. And Paul is saying, I'm in the race today. I am not the man I was yesterday, and I'm not even perfected like I hope to be tomorrow. I'm not either of those things. Today we have a choice. You and I have a choice. We can start living or start dying. And I don't know about you, but I got some living to do. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Calm down. All right. I'm trying to teach. We need to go to the next point. Just simmer down. All right. (laughs) Okay. So where are we at? Okay. We did the whole press on thing. That's right. Okay. So... There's one small problem now. As I was reading through these scriptures, I was like, you know, there's a problem here on this pressing on business. Because if you back up a a couple of verses toward the beginning of chapter 3, what we read a couple of weeks ago, he warns us against putting confidence in the flesh. He warns us against, you know, putting confidence in our religious credentials or their past achievements. Don't put your confidence in that, he says. And he tells us a lot about those credentials here in 4 and 7. I won't read them all. But, you know, he wore these things proudly at one point in his life. And now he considers it all loss. He calls it literally a pile of dung, right? He admits that he even went so far in his old life to hunt down and pursue Christians. That's kind of an ugly secret to come up on stage and tell everybody. I used to kill people for God, right? That's harsh. So by the time we get to verse 13, Paul says, I'm forgetting what is behind, and I'm pressing on, straining forward. But four, verse 4, 5, 6, and 7 is about what? His past. 
He's forgetting the past, and yet he's just spent this whole section prior telling us the deepest, darkest, most gruesome, shameful sins he's committed in the past. So apparently his version of forgetting is slightly different than my version of forgetting. So I looked into this. This word forgetting, this word forgetting in the Greek is something I can't even pronounce. I'm not going to try it. There it is. But it actually carries this idea of intentionally neglecting something or refusing to focus on or refusing to notice. It's an intentional thing, intentionally forgetting, intentionally neglecting something, refusing to focus on or notice. I thought maybe a better way to help us understand the biblical concept of forgetting is to look at its biblical opposite, which is remembering. And in Scripture, uh, to remember is something very special. We see this, this concept throughout, in, especially in the Hebrew Scriptures. To, to remember isn't just the recollection of data. You're not just recalling a bunch of data. Whenever it's talking about God remembering the deeds of some group of people, or, you know, or when he commands his people to remember something in their history, when he commanded Israel to remember their past, the Hebrew concept of remembering, it always carries this concept of it's recalling an action that's been buried in the past and intentionally bringing that act into your present awareness, intentionally bringing it up into your present so that the result of that past event influences your present and will influence your future. It's intentionally bringing that thing to the present so it influences your present. God would often do this to his people. He would call them to remember something from their past, something he did for them, right? Some great testimony or, or a victory that he led them into. He would tell them, remember, remember what I did for you. Or he would tell them sometimes to remember that some evil that was done to them. Remember, remember what those people did to you, right? Um, de- deliberately bringing back into the reality of the present so it would shape their present and affect their future. That's the Hebrew concept of remembering. And so now we kind of can better understand the Hebrew concept of forgetting. It's a le- little easier to grasp now, but it's the opposite of that. It's the opposite. It's choosing not to take something buried in the past and resurrect it into the present. Forgetting is choosing not to give second life to dead things. Choosing not to give second life to dead things. So forgetting your past doesn't actually mean pretending it doesn't happen. Oh, blah, 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 I forgot. No, I don't know what you're talking about, right? It's not pretending it didn't happen or, or passing out some kind of false resume of our lives. I just forgot all that. It, especially in light of Paul's call here for authenticity and honesty and being transparent. So that's not what that means. Pretending is never authentic spirituality. It's false maturity, Pretending is false maturity, false spirituality. Paul isn't trying to act like he's never done anything wrong. Paul freely admits the past. But in the same breath, he can say to us, but I'm not focusing on that past anymore because I'm now following Jesus Christ. We might say it this way. Your past no longer has to define you. Your past no longer has to define you because nobody but nobody and nothing has the right to define you except your creator. And you know what? He calls you priceless. He gave us everything for you. You're priceless to him. He's the only thing and the only one who can define you. Paul's saying, I can tell you the deepest, darkest, worst things of my past because I now see them in a whole new light. I see them in the light of Christ. I'm not defined by those things. For Paul, the testimony of his past 
it just represents another opportunity to further the gospel. Anything that represents an opportunity to further the gospel, to, to, to show how far God has brought him. It's just another opportunity to tell somebody, look what he's brought me from. Look how far he's taken me. Look at the transforming power of Jesus, right? It's not what shapes him today. Those things he did are not what shape him. It's the transforming power of Jesus Christ that shapes him. And it continues to shape him on a daily basis. That transforming power of Jesus. I'm telling you, this is the mind-blowing truth it took years for me to realize, and that is that the world has lied to us. The world has lied. You and I, guess what, are not actually the sum of our experiences. I've heard that before. I've heard that so many times. We're the sum of our experiences. We're the sum of our history. We're not. In Christ, when we come to Christ and surrender to him, we're not the sum of our past. Our story gets rewritten. He rewrites us, and we are now the sum of nothing except the transforming power of Jesus Christ and the unique person you were always meant to be. You become more of the real you that you were always meant to be. And when you put those two together, that's what happens when you come to Christ. That is what Christ does for us. Paul, he's able to freely admit the ugly truth of his past. He's able to go, you know what? I was so unbelievably devoted to my religious tribe. I went around and persecuted people just for not being in my tribe, right? Their very existence offended me. The, you know, when those first Christians were killed, the first recorded martyr we have in the Bible, Stephen, the Bible shows us, I mean, Paul is standing right there approving it. He's approving the murder of one of the first martyrs in Scripture, Stephen. And Paul says, yeah, I was, I was, sitting there taking, I was standing there taking responsibility for it. This is why we say Christ doesn't just forgive us. He doesn't just forgive our past. He transforms us. He transforms us. And he even transforms what was. It it all gets repurposed. So yeah, my past happened, but I now see my past in a whole new way. Right? When I met Christ, he gave me a new identity. He redefined me. And that is the only thing that defines me now. And, and that has radically transformed us in a whole new way. It transforms the way we see our past. Does coming to Christ make your past disappear? No. Does it miraculously, retroactively somehow transform your past? You better believe it. It absolutely does. And then Paul, he ties up this section of his letter in a kind of interesting, ironic way in verse 15. He says, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. All of us who are mature. This is really interesting. He uses a word related to the same Greek word he used for perfect back in verse 12. That's teleomai. Back where he says, I'm not yet perfect. But here, he uses a slightly different tense. I won't get all nerdy and grammatical on you, but he uses a different tense in the, in the Greek uh, so that it doesn't mean already perfect or complete, but it rather means being perfected. It, it's, it's a being matured. So all of us who are being matured, who are being perfected, in other words, those of us who are fully in the race, all of us who are in the race, running hard, That is Paul's definition of authentic 
spiritual maturity. You are in the race. He's not saying everybody who's perfect because he just got done telling us we're not perfect. He says authentic maturing people who are running the race will understand that this is true. And I love the next line. And if on some point you think differently, oh, that too God will make clear to you. In other words, if some of you disagree with me, it's okay. God will show you where you're wrong. (laughs) Right? It's funny, but you know, it also reveals his kindness in this letter, the way he puts that. He doesn't say, and if you don't, you don't agree with me, you can go suck a lemon, pal, right? <laughs> he doesn't like bring the hammer down and throw him out of the church. You know, if you don't agree with me, you're out of here. Turn or burn. He, he, he doesn't do that. He says, I trust that God will reveal to each one of us what we need to know. I'm going to trust in the Lord to reveal to each of us what we need to know. He'll make it clear. He'll bring us into unity, Right? Verse 16, he says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. This is such an important little final verse on this section. Let us live up to what we have already attained. The word attained here, it's the picture of a checkpoint, a checkpoint that you have already arrived at, whatever stage in the race that you you have accomplished, right? It's an important reminder because we just got done talking about this. We're okay. We got it. We're, we haven't all arrived, but you know what? What we have learned, let's learn it already. What you have learned, learn it and live it out. Let's not act like a total babe in Christ if we're not babies, okay? And if you're a spiritual infant here, that is awesome. That's great. We're all in this together. We're at different places in the race. That's great. But let us be diligent. Let's be diligent not to let the same dead past that Christ has delivered us from rise up like some horde of zombies and come up from behind us and keep biting us in the butt over and over, right? Don't let that dead past come back. Forget it. Leave it behind. Let's move in forward motion, not moving backward, but making progress. So what do we do? What do we do? We kind of talked about a lot of concepts today, so I thought it might be good to sum up a few takeaways for us today. So here we go. I got five, four, five takeaways. Takeaway number one, our unity grows stronger when we focus on Jesus. Our relationships, they grow deeper when we're looking at Jesus rather than elsewhere, either others or ourselves. Our relationships grow deeper when we are looking at Jesus. When we take our focus off of Jesus, boy, I found that we focus, when we focus instead on like how well everybody's measuring up to the religious standard, that, that quickly becomes an atmosphere where we're critical, where strife and division set in. Okay? When we start measuring, how, how's he doing? Oh, okay, I'm a little better than that. Good, good, good. You know, that's strife and division. Critical. Yeah, we don't want that. Takeaway number two. Spiritual growth requires honesty and authentic humility. Okay, I think we pounded this home pretty well. We need to be open with each other. We need to be honest with each other. Keeping your pain a secret means suffering in silence. If you're keeping it a secret, you're suffering in silence, and you're doing it the hard way. You don't have to do that. We don't need to pretend that we've all arrived or that we've reached perfection. Regardless of who we are or how long we've been at this game, I, I want to belong to a community where we can encourage one another rather than criticize each other. Amen? Amen. I know, you, I know you do too. Takeaway number three, spiritual growth does not happen by accident. 
It doesn't happen by accident. We've got to be intentional about it. We have to be determined in pursuing our goal of becoming like Jesus in all aspects of our lives. It's just like an athlete who, who, you know, run, who only, they, they run the race to the finish. They not only do that, but before that race ever started, they did the hard work of training and conditioning and working with other athletes every week, you know, throughout the week to push themselves and to be our best. So if we want to make a difference in the kingdom of God, and I think you do too, if we want to make a difference, we have to invest our energy and our time in the kingdom of God. It's got to be intentional. It doesn't happen by accident. Takeaway number four, we need to actively practice forgetting our past. Some of us have to do this every day. You have to actively decide, today I'm forgetting the past again. I'm not going to let it rise up. It's dead. We have to, that, that in order to mature in our relationship with Jesus, become more and more like him, we have to practice forgetting. Practice biblical forgetting. And, and what that is, is refusing to let the past define you, and instead letting God redefine you. Refuse to let the past define you. Let God redefine you. When you pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ, he brings freedom. And just as a side note to this, I have found too, when we are able to share with each other, when you have someone trusted, maybe it's a small group person or someone, or it's just a friend or somebody that who, you can, who prays with you and you trust them, and you can, you can share with them your struggle, boy, all of a sudden, that past is a lot lighter, right? It loses a lot of its teeth. So that's just an extra. That's 4.5. Here's takeaway number five. True disciples, True disciples, people who are committed to the race, committed to each other, we got to keep a forward perspective. And that forward perspective is going to allow us to embrace growth and change rather than get stuck in the past. If we're facing forward, we'll embrace growth and change. We're not going to embrace fear or comfort, but we're going to embrace growth and change. Uh, that, that's, that's true personally in your own life when you go home. It's true as a church when we come together as a community. That's the kind of perspective that cultivates growth. Um, and, it, and also that's going to reduce the chance for division and strife and legalism and, and laziness in the church too when we're embracing that, that kind of change. Okay, all right, let me, let me land this plane. Uh, I want to finish this morning by encouraging you with two passages from the Old Testament that speak almost identically to what Paul is talking about. The first one is in Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, 18, God says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past, is that biblical concept of forgetting. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. He's making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I love there's something about this scripture I like too. He doesn't necessarily say, I'm going to transplant you and put you in this beautiful place where there's no problems. They're still in the wilderness, but there's streams, right? And there, there's a wasteland right there, but there's a way and there's streams. I love that. These words were spoken collectively to the people of Israel. And God is saying, we cannot live in the past. I want to do something new. I want to move you further ahead. The challenge is, to grasp it, to perceive it, to notice it. See, God's moving. Do we notice? Do we notice? Or do we have eyes to see? We can only recognize it when we're not dwelling in some past arena. Our eyes get opened. Okay. One last scripture here I want to show you from Isaiah. Isaiah 42, verse 3. 
A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he'll bring forth justice. Sometimes in the course of this race that we're on, because this is the real world, right? We're not just painting a picture of a pretty fairy tale. In the real world, and over the course of a race, sometimes you, you make a turn and you feel like a reed that has been bruised and bent by the stampede going by. Anybody going through that? And, or, or maybe you feel like a wick that's been snuffed and all you're doing is kind of smoking. You're not really blazing bright anymore. I want to throw out a little rescue rope to all of us here. Maybe today you feel like you've been bumped off the track. Like somebody came by and just bumped you right off. Right? You thought you were in this pleasant race and it turned out to be a roller derby. <laughs> and you're sitting there and you're feeling kind of bruised, not really in the race. I want to encourage you in this. Jesus wants to pick you up. He wants to pick you up. And he wants to race with you. He's going to be right with you. He'll often do this through other people. He'll often pick you up through other people. But he can also do that by his spirit, by his love, his grace in our lives. Even if it seems like nobody's around, he can move in and do that. But he is faithful. The Lord is faithful to pick us back up and move us forward. We don't have to let our past paralyze us. We don't have to let the wounds and the pain paralyze us. As human beings, we seem to have this like collective glitch in our hardwiring. Uh, it's just hardwired in our minds to focus most strongly on the things in our past that we've done wrong, the ways we've screwed up. We focus on that. Or we have a tendency to fixate on some perceived golden age of yesteryear. And we live there. We either live in our mistakes or we live in the golden age. And as the great poet Bono once said, you get stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it. You're stuck in a moment. And what God wants to do for you this morning is he wants to embrace you. And he wants to lovingly pick you up. He's going to brush you off and get you out of that moment that you're stuck in and get you running with him again in the here and the now. That's the relationship he desires to, to have with you. That's his grace. That's his love. That is living in relentless joy. And I invite you, before we leave, just to watch this little video here.
I thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I thank you, Father God, for what you have done for us. I thank you, Father God, that you have redefined us. I thank you for every single one of my brothers and sisters here today who are in the race and they're being bumped around, but I thank you that you are in the race with us, Father. I thank you that you are showing us the prize. You're re-encouraging us, Father, day by day to stay in the race, to keep chasing after you. And I thank you, Lord God, that we don't look at our own achievements and our own accolades, Father God, to measure up to see how we're doing, Father God, but we just keep looking at Christ. And I thank you, Lord, you have clothed us in Christ. And I thank you, Lord God, when you see us walk out of, the, of, of our house every morning clothed in Christ, you look down and you see Jesus. You see Jesus. You don't see a bunch of screw-ups. You see Jesus. You see the body of Christ, Father. And I thank you for that, that we don't have to live under condemnation, but encouragement. I thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our prayer partners are coming forward now, and I just want to thank you guys for being here today, and, uh, and enjoy the rain, and thank you so much uh, for your sweetness and for your cards and letters this week, uh, emails that you've sent. Uh, y'all are beautiful, beautiful people, and uh, I wouldn't want to go to any other church in the whole wide world but this one right here. Love you guys. Have a good week.